Hello, everybody. Welcome to Camp Codger. Join us as three old guys share their often humorous, occasionally inspirational, and sometimes serious insights into this crazy experience called the golden years. I'm Gary Ebersall. Richard Kipling here. And I'm Randy Schultz. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Camp Codger, the podcast for older folks who still have a lot of life left in them. We're going to talk about retro toys today because it's a fun topic. But before we jump into that, we usually do a little intro, something we call a Camp Codger moment. Gary says he has a a Codger moment to share, so let's just jump right in. Gary, what do you have? It may seem a little bit surprising, but the other day I took a nap. Whoa. I know. Stop the presses, as Richard would say. Stop (laughs) the presses. But it's a weird feeling. I've been fighting this urge because I've always thought naps are for babies and old folks. Well, I'm not a baby anymore, but... Hmm, What does that leave? Yeah, Hmm. what is left? I came home from a bike ride the other day, came home, grabbed a quick breakfast, and then I lay down on the sofa to read a little bit, which is what I typically do. Lo and behold, 45 <laughs> minutes later, I woke up and th- thinking, oh my God, I just took a nap. Congratulations. Welcome Join the, the club. club. Yes. <laughs> Everybody I, tells me that. I think that means you're an old codger, Gary. I just signed on for the full program. That's right. Anyway, that That's was right. that was my codger moment. I thought it was kind of odd to actually realize that I took a nap. Welcome to the napping world. Like I said in the in the uh, intro, we're going to talk about retro toys. I'm dying to talk about a couple of these things. I know we're going to have some fun with this. Richard, when you think about your childhood, what do you think of in terms of the toys you played with? Was there one or two toys that just kind of still resonate in your heart? There sure were, and it's the most prosaic of all, teddy bears. I had teddy bears not just when I was two and three and four. I had teddy bears when I was eight and nine. And my brother, who was in the bed next to me upstairs in our little house, had a teddy bear too. It was uh, it was all about Big Brownie and Little Brownie. And we spent the evenings talking to them, interacting with them, sometimes feeding them. We would sneak downstairs and go into the kitchen and grab crackers and bring them up to our beds and feed our Big Brownie, Little Brownie duo. <laughs> I still have Big Brownie. I tried to find him oh, for the no. cast. I've got him somewhere. I just can't <laughs> seem to locate him. He's alive and well 60 uh, years later so or 70 years later. That's mine. And by the way, teddy bears came from Teddy Roosevelt, who went on a bear hunt in Louisiana in 1902. The people with him caught a bear for him to shoot. And being a good sportsman, he said, I will not shoot that bear. And the word got back, and there was an article in a newspaper about it. And a Brooklyn entrepreneur thought, oh, there's something here. He set some weavers to work, and they made the first Teddy's Bear, which then became Teddy Bear. There you go. There you go. Gary, what what kind of an old uh, retro toy do you think of? You know, I think of the, one of the most anticipated toys, a toy that I really want, was a BB gun. Oh, my. <laughs> I really, really wanted a BB gun. I can't remember how old I was. I'm thinking nine or ten. The anticipation was so high, and I was so gratified when I got the BB gun. 
and you open up that box. Oh my God, it's a rifle. Just like they have on TV and all the Western shows. And it was a Red Ryder Winchester model. That was probably the most anticipated gift. I don't know about the favorite. I mean, it's one of those things you can plink cans for so long and then suddenly you get a little bored. And Is that what you did with it? You shot at cans? Yeah, I shot at cans. You shot at anything that wasn't, you weren't going to shoot at each other. Because <laughs> that was always the warning. Don't put your eye out. Don't shoot at anybody with that gun. There was a whole movie about that. What was that old movie? Um, a Christmas Story. Was that the one where the, the kid wanted a, a Red Ryder BB gun? And his mom was saying, oh, no, you don't want that. You'll shoot your eye out. <laughs> and he gets it for Christmas because his dad sneaks it under the tree. Mm -hmm. And then he goes out to the back and he starts shooting at targets. And sure enough, a BB bounces back and breaks his glasses. <laughs> oh, he darn near shot his eye out. I'm certainly glad my mother didn't see that movie <laughs> before I had my birthday. I would have never had a BB gun. Actually, the BB gun history is kind of fun, too. It started out as a promotion for a company who made steel windmills in the 1880s. They were having trouble selling their windmills in the Midwest. Mm. I think it was in Minnesota. And they started giving away an air rifle. With every windmill you bought, you got a BB gun. Well, that, that, that's a great story. One of the first toys I thought of when we started thinking about this topic was one of the most successful toys of all time, one of my favorite toys of all time, something I still play with on occasion. And I'm talking about the Frisbee. Mm. <laughs> and I think everybody in America knows the Frisbee. This is a, a particularly good toy because it gets you outdoors, throwing, running, doing all kinds of healthy exercise. The story of the Frisbee actually began in Bridgeport, Connecticut, where William Frisbee opened <laughs> a company called the Frisbee Pie Company in 1871. <laughs> Students from nearby universities would throw the empty pie tins to each other, yelling, Frisbee, as they let it go. So it started out as just a, a, a pie tin. Much later on, in 1958, the toy was released by the Whammo Company. Well, this toy became one of the most successful toys of all time. In the next 20 years, Whammo sold 100 million units, <laughs> 100 million Frisbees. And that's why I probably have three of them in my garage right now. <laughs> you know, I've got versions of toys I, I got much more recently. For instance, I've got a cornhole set. I didn't even know what cornhole was until about a year ago. Some friends of mine started playing toys. Uh, cornhole sets are what you use after you get tired of playing pickleball. <laughs> well, yeah, I think that's probably true. You nailed me on that yeah, one. I did. Hey, that but speaking nice. of sports, let me tell let me tell you one that I have very fond memories of. It's it's not exactly a toy, but it functions as a toy, an activity that you spend a lot of time on. That's a baseball mitt. When I was eight years old, I I don't know how I persuaded my parents to get. Not a regular outfielder's glove, which everybody has from five on. I got a first baseman's mitt. I got a Gil Hodges first baseman's mitt. Oh, hat. not Ooh. a Gil Hodges. Um, really, a Gil Hodges. And I, wanted, I, I loved it. Gary, you loved it too? Well, I'm a lefty. 
And oh. first base is supposed to be for lefties because you can stretch just like you're, three inches you're, closer exactly, to the ball. <laughs> exactly. Well, I loved the way first basemen looked on the base, the way they stretched. I just loved it. Remember oiling the mitt? Oh, yeah. You had to oil oh, yeah. it and you had the to pound oil. the ball into it a hundred times. Oh, uh, yeah. You couldn't be a good player unless your mitt was well oiled. It had exactly. to be almost dark. It was almost exactly. Do you still have that in the garage or someplace in the <laughs> I, box? I looked. I didn't see it. <laughs> I, it's gone. I had oh. my outfielder's mitt until about ten years ago. I think the last mm. the last time I packed up and moved stuff, I decided not to move that. Oh, um, and I don't know. I mean, there was no reason for me to have it anymore, except it was nostalgic. But I kept that mitt. My, you know, the last mitt I had as a teenager. For probably 50 years, oh, you know? Do you remember that just, great feeling of just pounding your fist into the mitt? God, <laughs> and the sound it made. I mean, it was glorious. Just, I also remember this is, I used to smell my mitt. <laughs> I used to put my hand up. Your, your mitt, not your pit. <laughs> not my pit. <laughs> Maybe that too. But I, I love the smell of the leather and probably of the oil that I put on the leather. Okay, then maybe we'll do a, a segment on that. Strange fetishes we've all had over the years. <laughs> oh, 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 my goodness. I didn't plan on talking about this, but I wanted to just throw this out there because one of the toys, the so-called toys I had as a, as a teenager, was a chemistry set. Oh, gosh. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Did you, did you guys have a chemistry I did. set? I did too. Did we, you blow we up your exactly. parents' home? No, you couldn't make anything go bang. That's the disappointing <laughs> thing with those damn chemistry sets is you really wanted to find the right combination and they tested them thoroughly so you couldn't do anything to make it go bang. That was a disappointment. Oh, no. I, I've got to admit this then. You made it All go right, bang? My chemistry set had sulfur in it Ooh. and it had an approximation of potassium nitrate. And then my dad had a charcoal grill. So I took those three things and I pounded the, <laughs> you know what, out of them and, and pulverized them. And I made rudimentary gunpowder with my Did chemistry you really? set. You were much <laughs> wow. more creative than I was. Yeah. I never blew up anything, but I could... <laughs> I could actually, you know, light the stuff on fire and it would kind of flare like a firework. That's the only thing mm. I remember ever making with my chemistry set. And I'm not sure chemistry sets are even legal today. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're still around. I mean, speaking of sets, and I'll bet your chemistry set came in a metal box. It did. One, it of, did. My, one of my favorite toys was an erector set. And it came in this ah, yeah. red metal box. Well, speaking they, of boxes, did you guys collect things from cereal boxes? Remember all the toys that were in the cereal box? Or you could send away and get a toy from a cereal box? Absolutely. And how about Cracker Jacks? Cracker Jacks. Back in the days when you actually got a little toy <laughs> or a little something, yeah. out of every box of Cracker Jacks, that was always a real real moment when you got one that you wanted. And you also got a free visit to the dentist. Absolutely. I had plenty of them, too. <laughs> we didn't have many of the 
boxes of cereal with toys in it because with eight kids in the family, there was always a fight. Who got the toy that was in the box? And you didn't. You weren't allowed to dig down into the box because that was cheating. So you had to wait till it, it poured into your dish, and then whoever the lucky one was. And I think my mother just got tired of listening to us fight over the toy in the in the cereal box and bought the big bags of cheap puffed rice or something. Yeah. All right, I got a question for you guys. <clears throat> Do you know what the toy known as Play-Doh mm. started out as? A pie crust with the Frisbee pan. <laughs> <laughs> Play-Doh started out as a putty-like substance. It was invented in Cincinnati, Ohio, and its purpose was to clean soot mm. Off of wallpaper. What? This is absolutely true. Before it came in the bright multicolors that we know today, it was just this drab looking stuff, and you literally used it to take the coal soot off of wallpaper. Wow. It was introduced in the 1930s. But then after World War II, a couple of things happened in America. Number one, people stopped using as much coal to heat their houses. The other thing was they invented a vinyl-based wallpaper that didn't need to be cleaned in the same way. It could, you know, be cleaned with a sponge and water. So the company that made this substance totally rebranded it. Mm. They introduced it as Play-Doh, and they made it in all kinds of bright colors. And they said, this is actually a toy for kids. It's a uh, kid-friendly modeling clay, basically. Well, it took off like crazy. The product is still available all over the world. I have a fact here. Between 1955 and 2005, a 50-year span, Play-Doh was sold in 75 countries, and they sold more than 2 billion cans. 2 billion <laughs> cans of Play-Doh. <laughs> Can you feel, somebody had mentioned this concept that that the development of toys, the creation of toys, has gone corporate. When you right, when you exactly. look back at the enduring toys, ones that are still with us, they were invented by individual people. The guy that made the BB gun, invented the first BB gun, was a solo in inventor. Slinkies. So, well, I was just going to say Slinkies because I started looking at the research behind Slinkies. It's a great story. <laughs> this guy basically was a naval engineer in the mid-40s and trying to come up with a way to suspend instruments so they wouldn't vibrate when they're on a ship. Mm. And so he was investigating all different types of, of alloys to put something together. And he worked something out and he accidentally made a slinky. It was sitting on a shelf in a coil form. And it, he noticed he, it fell off the shelf and basically went down a few steps. It was a total accident. But here's an individual inventor. I think that's what the beauty of the story is, is it was one person. One of the dreams we had when we were a kid, to be an individual inventor. Yes. Mm -hmm. And the Slinky story is a great one. I mean, you know, they're, they're still making Slinkies, a lot of knockoffs out there, but the real Slinkies, Slinkies there. Uh, it was run by his wife, for almost 40 years after the inventor got religion and went off to South America to be a missionary. <laughs> huh. You know, I've got a beef with Slinky. 
Oh, yeah? I like the metal slinkies. They actually did what they were supposed to do. And I don't know if you guys remember, but at some point way back yes. in time, there was Plastic. a commercial that showed it going downstairs yep. and everything. The metal ones were great. But when they came out with a plastic slinky, it was like so lame compared to the real metal. But was it a real slinky? Well, I don't see. I don't think so. so. I'm a purist. When when (laughs) it comes to slinkies, I am a purist. I want a metal slinky. You know, the great thing is. The feel in your hand as you move them back and forth, there's that physical sensation. There's also this great thing that if, if you saw a slinky on a desk today, you'd play with it. You pick it up. I would pick it up and move it <laughs> and watch it. I'm going to go buy a slinky. No, I'm going to go order a slinky on Amazon. That's what I'm doing. All right, make sure you make sure you get a metal one. I want a metal. Don't one. be yeah. buying the plastic yeah. one. But yep. the slinky dog apparently was a big seller. Still is. And yeah, it had a comeback with the Toy Story movies. Yeah. Can I talk for All a right. second about toys that are not formally toys that I played with incessantly? in my childhood and into my youth. One of them was collecting rocks. Collecting things was a big piece of my preteen and teen days. We had a place near my grammar school that we named Rock Alley. And we would go there after school every day and I would dig up what I call rose quartz, emeralds, diamonds, all these things were right in this alley. And I collected them. You you were so easily entertained. (laughs) If if I told you, Richard, go fetch another rock. I'd go. I'd go. go. It was the only excuse that worked with my mom when she said, why are you late home from school? I was at Rock Alley. That worked. That worked. But collecting stuff, I collected coins from a young age. I collected stamps from a young age. You know, all those things, all those things were toy-like activities. They kept me uh, out of my mom's hair for hours at a time. Oh, and speaking of those collections, did we all collect sports cards? Baseball cards. Baseball, that was was it. thing I... I knowingly collected on purpose and was really passionate about. Same, and you and traded you saved them, your right? Collection, and you've got these million-dollar cards oh, right I wish. there behind you in that credenza, right? Oh, well, you know what happened is my mom went uh, cleaning out my room when I had uh, moved off to college. Oh and no! I don't know what happened, but my baseball cards disappeared just oh, like that. Boom! No. Did you and ever forgive her, Mickey Mantle? My Mickey Mantle cards and my oh. Al Kaline cards. Oh, sad, gone. sad. Just gone. I had exactly the same experience. I thought I was the only one in the world whose mom had be- betrayed him by cleaning out those cards. But they're gone. No, mo- mothers in, in America, they, they, they did a statistical run on this. <laughs> And mothers in America have thrown away approximately <laughs> 17 gazillion dollars worth of baseball cards. <laughs> oh, that's good. Oh, my God. We'd all be millionaires, but we, no. We certainly would. Well, I've had a, a great time talking about toys with you gentlemen. Same. Uh, I'm, I hope out there in Podland, you folks will uh, comment on this episode and, and share with us what your favorite toys were back then, maybe what your grandkids are playing with today. Join us next week when Randy and Gary discuss keeping score in retirement. If you enjoyed this episode, sign up at campcodger.com to receive email updates about new episodes.
As always, we would be delighted if you left a comment below. You can also join the fun by checking out Camper Corner on our website.